It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Block Talk Radio. Tonight on. Astronomy Show 187. Our guest coming up will be the interactive marketing specialist and social health superstar. That's right, I'm saying that right now. Dana M. Lewis will be coming up. She works for a Swedish medical center in Seattle, Washington. And next week will be the 2010 Swedish Healthcare Symposium. I'll be talking, uh, uh, taking part in the pre-conference session, which we'll be talking about. Dana, of course, is also the founder and moderator of the Twitter chat session called Hixum, HCSM, Healthcare Communications and Social Media. We'll talk about that and a lot more coming up on the Dr. Anonymous show starting right now. about medicine and social media. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show live on a Thursday night here on Block Talk Radio. My name is Mike Sabella, and I am Dr. Anonymous, but my friends like all of you out there, I see you out there, you can call me Dr. A, and you can always find out more information about me by just typing in Dr. Anonymous in your favorite search engine. That should be the top link. Over there, you can also go to DrAnonymous.com. That brings you the most current show schedule and some very exciting shows coming up here in the month of October. Also some blog posts and also some TV interviews of uh, me doing local TV news. Very excited to interview this week about October being National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. You can go to DrAnonymous.com and check that out. You can also go to DrAnonymous.net. That brings you to the Facebook page. Shout out to all 280 people who like the show, who are fans of the show. However, Facebook does that now with their new changes this week. No idea. I'll have to read up on that later. Also, some exclusive behind-the-scenes video of me doing this show over on the Facebook page. You can also go to DrAnonymous.org. That brings you to the iTunes page where you can subscribe to this show. Get all you can handle of Dr. Anonymous. I know, very exciting. You can also listen in real time to this show on your iPhone, BlackBerry, Palm Pre, Droid, whatever your mobile device is. Just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Anonymous. 
Today is Thursday, October 7th, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. And right now it is 53 degrees Fahrenheit here at Dr. Anonymous World Headquarters. Coming up uh, will be Dana M. Lewis on Twitter. And uh, we'll be talking to her. I'm very excited that she'll be coming on the show. We have a bunch of stuff to talk to her about tonight. Uh, but first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring a show again this evening on the front page. Welcome to those of you who are new to the show. I've been a social media hobbyist and enthusiast since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a family physician here in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in a beautiful northeastern Ohio where it is turning fall around here. We're excited about that. And if you're listening live, you can see my shining face here on the webcam here this evening. Uh, before we go to the break, I want to give a big shout-out to the people here in my chat room. We have Dr. Synonymous, who has a show here on Tuesday nights here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We also have Hybrid Medic, who also has a show here on Blog Talk Radio. If you check out the Hybrid Medic show, and uh, feel free to put your links there in the live interactive chat room. Also, uh, J-Man with the I'm with Stupid show. Good stuff on Sunday mornings here on Blog Talk Radio, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And also Liz, our good friend and longtime listener as well, and also a guest. Welcome to you as well. And those of you who are having problems getting into the Blog Talk Radio chat room, I know it's very common around here. So just be patient. You'll be able to get into the chat room here in no time and to join in the fun. <laughs> Uh, so now I will uh, take my break, and uh, after the break will be uh, Dana Lewis, live from uh, Seattle, Washington. We'll be talking about a bunch of topics tonight, including the Swedish Medical Center Healthcare Symposium taking place next week. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a member of the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net. And also a member of the uh, Better Health Network at getbetterhealth.com. And a member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com. And we'll be right back.
are driven to innovate and to make mistakes at full speed just like that. This is the Dr. Nomina Show live on Block Talk Radio. On the line with us uh, we have is my new best friend live from Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the show, Dana Lewis. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, if, if you've been following Dana, especially today, Dana has had a, a huge day of meetings. So I do want to thank you for taking the time. Um, and I just want to say, uh, before we start, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, and I know we'll get into that, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time here uh, tonight. Hey, the admiration is mutual. Glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so why don't we just start off with the healthcare symposium going on next week, Swedish Medical Center. Um, and thank you, and I want to thank Swedish for, for the invitation to take part in the pre-conference uh, session. But why don't we start off with, with, the, with the full healthcare symposium uh, itself. Um, would you tell us a little bit about that, um, and we can chat a little bit about it, and where can people can find more information about that? Sure. Well, I work for Swedish Medical Center here in Seattle, Washington, and Swedish is a nonprofit health system that's been in the community for more than a, for 100 years. And so for our 100th birthday celebration, instead of, you know, throwing a bunch of parties, we actually wanted to give back to the community. So we're putting together a series of events throughout the year, with the symposium being one of the biggest ones um, to bring national and international leaders in healthcare from around the world to Seattle to talk about how can we improve and redesign healthcare delivery. So that's what this 2010 symposium is really about. And, um, yeah, I, w- I was looking at the, the schedule and, you know, some of the, the speakers and some of the people that are uh, going to be attending and uh, speaking at this uh, healthcare symposium. This week. It, it's very, uh, very impressive. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the uh, speakers? Sure. Well, we're really excited to have people from across healthcare. So we have the chairman and CEO of GE, Jeffrey Amelt, coming to give a keynote. We have folks from Mayo Clinic, the Tuck School of Business, Johns Hopkins. So really every possible person who could be touched by healthcare, that type of organization, whether it's a nonprofit, a hospital, uh, an innovation technology company, but even somebody from Wegmans Food is coming to talk about how can employers redesign their healthcare programs for employees. So it's really interesting, and I'm, I'm personally really excited to be able to attend this. And one of my favorite things is we've made it possible. So even if you can't come out to Seattle for this event, we're going to live stream the whole thing from start to finish, and we're going to take questions from people who are watching online on Twitter and through Cover It Live so you can get your questions answered by the panelists live in real time. So can you tell us a little bit more about that as far as um, you know, how can people can get involved with that and, and – uh, um, you know, just to kind of take part in the conversation if they can't be um, uh, be there in uh, their person. Well, the easiest way is to use the hashtag Swedish100. So if you're a Twitter user, you can log on to Twitter, um, or even if you're not a Twitter user, you can watch the conversation by searching pound Swedish100. However, if you want to watch the video and comment and you don't have a Twitter account, you can also go to Swedish.org slash 2010 symposium and you can see the video, and you can comment even without a Twitter account, and we'll have people monitoring that so you can ask your questions. We'll hand them to the speakers, and it'll be just like you were there and, and physically here in Seattle with us. Um, and just kind of reading up on, on this a little bit, I mean, I, from what I understand, kind of just doing kind of a little bit more, a little more research, um, uh, this is kind of a, 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 a first-time event for, the, for Seattle, for the Pacific Northwest, especially in healthcare. 
talking about, you know, having a discussion on how to transform and redesign healthcare. Absolutely. I mean, granted, I have a little bit of a limited perspective. I've been in Seattle for three months, but to my knowledge, being in the healthcare community, even beyond that, there's not a lot of activities and events and bringing the community together around the Northwest. Usually, if it's on the West Coast, it's in California, Midwest, on the East Coast, Northeast particularly, but a lot of times we don't have everybody coming together in the Northwest, so we're really excited to bring everybody here to Seattle and to talk about healthcare and to hopefully make a difference. Uh, and on the, uh, the the Swedish 100 site, and I, I put a link to that in the chat room, and uh, for those of you who are listening afterward, it's swedish100.org. That'll be kind of the first place to start. You can click on the Healthcare Symposium uh, button there, and uh, people can still register uh, for the uh, in-person event. Is that right? Absolutely. Well, our general overall symposium is closed right now. We actually have a waiting list. Um, we're sold out with over 500 people. However, if you want to come to the pre-conference Monday morning, which I'm guessing we'll talk about in a moment, um, you can go to the same website that I mentioned, the Swedish.org uh, slash 2010 symposium, and look at an associated link, and you'll be able to register on Eventbrite for the event. That's Monday morning from 8 to 11.30 a.m., where your very own Dr. Anonymous will be speaking here in Seattle, but the full conference is sold out. <laughs> Uh, well, that's great that the uh, that the full healthcare symposium is uh, sold out. That that kind of kind of shows uh, uh, that people are very interested in this and uh, want to take part in the conversation. And uh, you know, obviously the, the the speaker list is very impressive as well. So that's that's kind of a good uh, uh, good initial sign uh, for the event already. Yeah, like I said, we're thrilled. I mean, when you pull together over 40 amazing speakers just for the symposium alone, then you add in a pre-conference focusing on social media innovation with, you know, yours truly and some other fabulous doctors and keynote speakers. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to not be have an incredible event when you have this many great people in healthcare together. Um, and let's kind of switch uh, to the uh, pre-conference. Uh, that's going to be the, the, the Monday morning, uh, uh, I believe, and uh, uh, that'll be uh, October 11th. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just uh, uh, I, I'm happy to be a part of the event, and, and uh, some of the other speakers um, for for the social media event. Uh, it's also very impressive as well. How, how did that come up? Uh, uh, obviously, there's a you know, there would felt to be a need to, to have a pre-conference uh, for um, social health and social media, uh, but kind of how, how did that idea come out? Well, it actually came from my boss, Melissa Tizon. She's at Melissa Tizon on Twitter, and she also runs the at Swedish Twitter account. Um, but I, I work under her, and I do social media here. But when I came on board in July, she's saying, you know, we've got this phenomenal event, but we also want to do some social media. Why don't you put together a pre-conference? And that's kind of a great opportunity, and it's, I would hate to, you know, waste that opportunity, so I just kind of took it and ran with it. And, you know, she's been really great in supporting this and helping me pull it together. Um, so we were able to pull in, you know, an e-patient, one of the top doctors in the area and top doctors across the nation, um, you know, Jen Dyer, Brian Vardabedia, and Kent Bottles, and yourself to talk about what it's really like to be a physician in social media, what it's really like to be um, as a patient online and looking for information, and what are we all trying to get out of this social media thing. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about. It. We, we had uh, we kind of had our little pre uh, uh, pre conference uh, meeting earlier this week, um, as far as brainstorming and uh, kind of starting the conversation, and uh, you know just being on the phone uh, with these people uh, just got me very energized. Uh, got me uh, thinking about a lot of different things that I can share, at least from my point of view, and I know from. Uh, you know the other panelists and the other speakers. I mean that'll that'll give people a pretty good 
um, idea of of the uh, of, of social health and and uh, uh, social media um, at this point in time. So I, I'm very excited about that. Well, it's mutual. I'm a, I'm a huge adrenaline junkie, so I've just been bouncing off the walls, going, "Is it Monday yet? Is it Monday yet?" So we're all very excited about it. Um, and again, if, if people can't uh, be there um, in person, um, there uh, is uh, a, a site that, that you can go and see it at live stream video. Um, and for those of you who use Twitter, um, the the Twitter hashtag uh, is uh, Swedish100. Um, and something that, that I've seen at uh, um, other events and other Swedish events too is, is the use of this uh, uh, social media um, utility called Cover It Live, um, where um, I think, uh, if I understand it right, you can aggregate um, a lot of things, especially a certain um, hashtags like uh, Swedish 100, so people can uh, take part in the conversation but not necessarily be a part of Twitter. And uh, from what you were saying, Dana, that you, uh, there will be some questions that are taken from uh, some of these social media outlets. Yeah, absolutely. Cover It Live is one of my favorite tools aside from Twitter because it allows you to, like you said, aggregate the hashtag, not just one, but you can pull in certain Twitter accounts, you can pull in the hashtag, um, and you can also put in media if you want to share media files like a picture or do a poll with the audience. So it's a really great way to keep everybody engaged. Um, but if you don't have a Twitter account and you want to put in a comment, it's really easy. All you have to do is type in your comment, hit enter, we approve it, and we possibly enable, are able to take it up on stage and give it to the speaker just like if you were passing a card in from the audience here in Seattle. And something that was really cool earlier this week, uh, I saw that the, uh, the, the CEO of Swedish uh, is, is on Twitter now, and I saw that, that you posted a picture of him kind of uh, tweeting or reading or both, um, and it was nice to see, uh, see him kind of type some stuff in. I, I typed, uh, said hello, and he said hello back. So, uh, uh, so that's cool. I mean, it, it, it's great that it's you know, really kind of coming from the top down as far as, you know, this is what we feel the, the medical center, the health system, the hospital, uh, the direction that uh, we think that uh, communication should take. Absolutely. I mean, Swedish, we're trying to make Swedish a very social hospital. So whether you're a nurse, an administrator, a doctor, somebody like myself who works in communications, we love the place we work for, and we want to be ambassadors for it. So we're trying to enable everybody, you know, top down, bottom up, to be able to have these opportunities to engage with people online and provide that same great service of healthcare, but, you know, possibly online because that's where patients are. And so this week, our, um, our CEO, you can find him on Twitter at Rod Hockman, MD, that's R-O-D-H-O-C-H-M-A-N-M-D, got on Twitter. Um, we had a session with him yesterday where he started tweeting, and then he actually put up a tweet today when he was at a leadership institute. Um, so he's out there tweeting by himself, and we're really excited for him to be personally embracing social media as well as supporting it for the organization. And he's a physician as well. He's a physician and CEO. I'm sorry? He's a, he's a physician as well, in addition to being Absolutely. a Absolutely, yeah. Media. I mean, um, and that's, I mean, that's great. Um, so I hope I get to meet him and just kind of just bend his ear a little bit about, uh, you know, what he thinks as far as the landscape of, of healthcare, the landscape of communication, um, social media, social health. Um, and I've been reading a little bit about him as well. He seems like a fascinating guy to, to talk to. He is. I've had the opportunity to spend a couple minutes with him last week and this week. And I just, you know, even in the 10 and 30 minute session, just learned so much about healthcare you know, his perspective on reform and healthcare delivery. I mean, it's just, he's just a phenomenal person. I'm honored to work with him. 
Um, and you said right before you kind of got on uh, this show here tonight that uh, uh, your team, or not your team, but the Swedish team, kind of got together and uh, started, uh, um, you know, continuing the planning process and, and putting the final touches. Uh, so uh, it seems like uh, you know you guys are really getting ready to, to put together a, a, a great event. Um, what does uh, what does Swedish hope to uh, to get? Um, you know, what kind of discussion do they help to get? What would they? What kind of bridge that they help to get after this meeting as far as, you know, the kind of discussion or, you know, kind of next steps, you know, uh, after this meeting? Well, like I said, it's our 100th anniversary, and so instead of doing a lot of self-serving parties and, yay, you know, we're, we're here, but we really did want to give back to the community. So we're hoping with this symposium that we're going to start a conversation that's going to go beyond Monday and Tuesday about redesigning healthcare delivery. How can we really have innovations in healthcare? It's the same thing with the pre-conference. It's about starting a discussion. Like I said, I don't know that there's a lot of events out here in the Northwest, but hopefully this will be the catalyst to really bring the Hicksum community, the healthcare communications community together um, out here in the Northwest and keep that going. Uh, so that will be uh, next week, and um, people can get uh, more information, I guess, starting at the Swedish100.org. Would that be the, the right uh, first place to start? Absolutely. Swedish100.org. Um, you can see a lot of cool things like our baby, baby photo contest. If you want to learn about Swedish's 100-year history, that's a great place. You can also learn I more about that. I saw that. Baby photo contest. That was, like, that was really cool. And then some of the stories that, uh, that I'm reading and people are sharing uh, on this site, uh, there's even um, you know, YouTube videos and, and other types of stories on the site. And if people haven't checked it out, I mean, it's not just for the healthcare symposium part, but just for the whole Swedish 100 uh, celebration. Um, uh, it's just, it, it looks great. <laughs> well, we're excited because more, I think more babies are born here at Swedish than anywhere else in the community. Um, or a, a astounding number of babies are born here. And so people are really proud to say, oh, I'm a Swedish baby or I had one. So we've had a Facebook page and community going for a while that says, I'm a Swedish baby or I had one. And people all the time are posting pictures of their children and talking about their Swedish babies that were born. So we did a baby photo contest to kind of pull together all of those great stories and pictures, like you said, of all the babies who have been born here. Um, man, so that'll be um – uh, the healthcare symposium will be October 11th and 12th. The pre-conference will be on the uh, 11th. Uh, people can find out more information um, uh, on the website there. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, especially you know, if you can't be there in person, you know, be there online. Uh, watch it, you know, on Monday and Tuesday. Um, I, I, I'm very excited to be a part of it. Um, not only to be part of the pre-conference, but to kind of see the discussion that happens during the main conference, during the healthcare symposium, to kind of see what kind of uh, discussions take place and to see some of the speakers there, too. I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible uh, a gathering of uh, people, including the U.S. Surgeon General, who's a family doc, who's uh, going to be there, um, and Actually, other uh, speakers oh. there, too. And, uh, we just, we just found that? out the US, U.S. Surgeon General had to cancel. We're so disappointed that she won't make it. Oh, bummer. That's a bummer. I know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some of the topics there, uh, 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 topics that are going to be talked about of, of the sessions, I mean, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be incredible as well. Um, I'm trying to think of this. There was another question I was going to ask you about this. Should we have forgot, Dana, to, to talk about this? Because I, I, I thought there was maybe one or two things that was on my list. I can't think of anything else at this point. 
No, I just like really emphasize if you want to be a part of this, that's why we've set up this live stream channel. We want you to ask questions. We're going to have a fleet of volunteers taking the questions from online, moderating the discussion. Like we said, we want this to be a catalyst for conversation about healthcare. So, you know, please tune in. If you have any questions, you can email me at dana.lewis at swedish.org. My email is on the website. If you have any technical difficulties, let me know because we want to make this conversation available to as many people as possible. Cool, cool. Uh, so what we do is we'll take a little of a break. Uh, we'll take a short little break, and then we'll uh, we'll talk more with uh, Dana Lewis here on the Dr. Donovan Show uh, coming up in a little bit. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. to the Dr. Anonymous show live on Blog Talk Radio. On the line uh, with us, uh, we have uh, Dana Lewis live from uh, Seattle, Washington. And uh, Dana, let's, let's kind of shift gears here a little bit um, because I've been reading a lot about you in, in the past uh, few weeks. And um, your story um, uh, is, is an incredible story. Um, and just when we were talking before a few weeks ago, um, as far as your background, as far as um, how you came into this field? Um, why don't we start with um, you have a, a you have diabetes and mm-hmm. uh, chronic medical diagnosis, and uh, it, I think that kind of started as your catalyst as far as you know your passion for communication and healthcare communication. Uh, why don't we kind of start with um, you know how that all started as far as you're trying to find information about your diagnosis. Um, and uh, you know what what uh, what you knew about uh, and learned about uh, diabetes that kind of started off this process. Sure. Well, like you said, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was fourteen. It was three months into my freshman year of high school, and as you can imagine, all you want to do in high school is fit in. Well, after three months, all of my efforts to fit in just kind of flew out the door um, because my first reaction was being diagnosed with diabetes, it wasn't, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to take shots for the rest of my life. Oh, my gosh, am I going to die? My thought was, crap, now I'm different. <laughs> and as, as a 14-year-old, that's really what diabetes meant to me was that I was different and that it was going to change everything. And I didn't know anybody else with type 1 diabetes. I was in high school in Huntsville, Alabama. There's a lot of type 2 diabetes in Alabama, but I didn't know anybody with type 1. And so that was my first prompt to go to the Internet and find other people other teens and, you know, young people with diabetes to see how do they find a purse that fits their meter and their insulin and their syringes? What kind of snacks do they carry? How do they get out of class if they need to test their blood sugar? You know, all those kind of little things and that you don't think about, but that make a big difference in your quality of life. So that's the first reason I went online is to find other young people with diabetes who I could talk to because I couldn't find them in my natural physical community. Can you share a little bit about uh, your, your diagnosis, uh, particularly? Like, I mean, how did you find out? Were you, were you ill? Were you sick? Um, like, kind of, how did all that come about? Yeah, well, a lot of people have some typical symptoms. They lose a lot of weight. They start drinking a lot, going to the bathroom a lot. But my case was unique because I, like I said, as a freshman in high school, and I had just made it onto our color guard team with the band. 
So starting June and July, I was out for a week each summer out on the, you know, hard top, you know, learning how to spin flags and rifles and sabers out in that hot Alabama humid heat. And then those practices continued three nights a week once school started. And so my parents actually thought the band directors were killing me off. I thought it was great. I was like, I'm 14, I'm losing weight, I'm so fit, I look fabulous. But basically, I was losing all my body fat because when, you know, when you have diabetes and your blood sugar is high, all that sugar and everything is just melting off of your body. And so slowly, I started to feel more and more sick. And it finally came to the point where I was just like a slug. Like, I would get home from practice, and I would eat half a box of Frosted Flakes and go to bed and wake up the next morning and go to school. But I didn't have a lot of energy. Just kind of everything was feeling slow until finally my parents and I were like, okay, well, you got the flu or something. You should go to the doctor. And it was actually right after my fall break. I went back to school Monday morning. My parents pulled me out of school during band, went to the doctor, and, you know, within a couple minutes he came back in and was like, you have type 1 diabetes. There's just no question about it. And so that's when my life just completely changed. Now, does, the, does diabetes run in your family at all? Or? No, there's nobody with type 1 diabetes in my family. So it's just one of those instances where it's an autoimmune disease. We don't know what causes it. We don't know why I got it. I just did. Um, so sharing a little bit about, you know, how did you start your online research to find out about the diagnosis? I presume you're trying to find communities of people to kind of ask questions to. Share that a little bit with us. Sure. Well, what, what I did is I just, you know, I started Googling searching, Google searching. I mean, this was eight years ago next, Wednesday, next Thursday, um, but back then there wasn't a whole lot for people searching for healthcare information. Um, you know, you could Google, you could search, but what you would find wasn't necessarily accurate medical information, and there certainly weren't the same kind of patient communities. I don't even think we had come up with a term e-patient at that time. Um, so one of the places I found was information on the American Diabetes Association, and that was great in terms of health information, but there was no place I could really find other people with type 1 diabetes. So I found this one community called Children with Diabetes, which it was and still is a really great community that was started by a parent of somebody with diabetes um, to, again, bring people together because it's such a difficult experience as a child or a young person to have to deal with this chronic condition. Um, so those are some of the places I found information. But surprisingly, I actually had an offline experience, which brought me further back online. I decided to go down to the American Diabetes Association office in my community after about six months, I decided, okay, I want to do a fundraiser. I want to support diabetes. I got one of my local school clubs to, you know, do a fundraiser, had a check, took it down to the office, and I walked in and I was like, you know, here's a check. I raised money for diabetes. They're like, well, and I started to walk out again. I'm like, no, no, wait, <laughs> come back here. Um, and they were so surprised with the thought of there's a young person out there wanting to raise money, wanting to be active, wanting to find other people with diabetes. And so I got pulled into volunteering for the association, which then led me back online to more communities as they started to develop around the association. Um, and so it's, it's always interesting to share this story because it wasn't necessarily an online community that really changed my life like a lot of people have nowadays. It was really the offline community that I found at the association, which led me back to online diabetes communities. As I met more people in the real world who were also online, we started to form those relationships and communities on Facebook and other places. Wow, that's fascinating. So, uh, so did, did you find other people kind of your in your type of situation? Because you know, usually type one diabetes, um, you know, is usually it's not diagnosed as a teenager. It's usually diagnosed earlier. Um, uh, we're able to find um, and, and uh, you know peers in your group to try to ask questions or you know mentors to kind of talk with as far as 
you know, the, what you were going through as, as you know, uh, for treatment and for diet and for, you know, those type of uh, um, uh, diabetes issues? Well, it was a mix. Because I was in Alabama, a lot of times people are diagnosed at a place like Joslin or, you know, a big children's hospital, and I didn't have that experience. Right. I, was, I was diagnosed. I went to my, you know, my primary care doctor. He did the test, and he sent me straight to an endocrinologist. There wasn't a big – I had diabetes education. There's a diabetes center in Huntsville, but there wasn't a big support group. There wasn't a big team program. There wasn't a lot of things that mo- – that's how most people get roped in to education and support is through those meetings and then they go online. My first reaction was to go online because there wasn't that physical community of young people that I could draw on from support. So over time, I searched people out, um, and as I got involved with the association and went to those events across the state and later nationally, that's when I started finding other young people and connecting with them about their experiences with diabetes. Mm, that's interesting. Um, so kind of the tech angle on this, so were you always kind of a techie person growing up, or was that kind of part of your, you know, initial diabetes experience is, is, is you know, looking towards technology to, to uh, you know, to help with what you were going through? A little bit of both. I actually come from a pretty techie family. My dad is an engineer, um, and so we actually had, you know, computers in my house always growing up, always had a lot of the latest digital toys. I was very fortunate because I started using a computer, you know, pretty young and incorporating it into my schoolwork and things like that, so I was able to use those tools and I'm just a natural techie, I think, as well. So part of my upbringing, but as well as, as I started, you know, the first diabetes meter was, like, the size of four current black, Blackberries. It was this huge brick of a thing. The screen was just, you know, like a computer from the 80s. The strips were huge. And just I've always been a fan of improving diabetes technology. And it's fascinating to see, again, my first meter was this huge brick of a thing that took up, like, half my purse. And now they just came out with a new meter. It's not, I don't think it's approved in the U.S. by the FDA yet, but it'll plug into your iPhone. And so you have this teeny tiny meter that plugs into the bottom of your iPhone versus this huge brick from back in 2002. So I've always loved technology. I've always supported people who want to make better technology improvements for diabetes and other diseases because, like I said, it makes a huge difference in your quality of life. Uh, and that's kind of been my experience as far as uh, talking with people um, in the diabetes community um, is that uh, for you know, one reason or another, if they start or they are now, I mean, very tech-oriented, um, and I think a lot of the diabetes community has, has been driving uh, this uh, you know, technology wave as far as trying to get, you know, better meters, smaller meters, um, other types of technology um, uh, going. And uh, it's been interesting kind of just being an outside observer um, and reading um, a lot of these uh, diabetes-related uh, sites as far as, you know, what kind of innovative ideas people come up with saying, oh, you know, we can do this better, we can do this, um, you can have a smaller um, footprint of the technology um, to kind of, you know, decrease some of the stigma um, that uh, you know, probably diabetes had, you know, back in the dark 80s in 2002 when you had the big brick <laughs> of a... Uh, uh, of a meter. So it's been interesting uh, as an outsider kind of seeing uh, uh, the patient community, the patient diabetes community drive a lot of this uh, technology and, and making manufacturers and, and making other people say, hey, we can do this better. And it, it, it's been just fascinating just watching it evolve just in the past, just as long as I've been a part of uh, just uh, for the last four or five years. So now, have you seen that too? Absolutely, and as we've seen on the Hickson community, there's a lot of diabetes patients who are really active in supporting all advances in healthcare and social media. 
Um, but there's a term for us. It's the DOC, the Diabetes Online Community. And we are, diabetes often is used as the poster child. And I think it comes from, there was an article in the New York Times um, last week or this week talking about how diabetes was the first disease where doctors really had to hand over the reins because people were driving their own control as they were giving themselves insulin shots, taking, you know, testing their blood sugar. They worked the insulin pump. We worked the continuous glucose monitors. So it, we really have always been a progressive group of people just dealing with the nature of the disease, and that's just translated online. And so there's a huge diabetes online community, whether it's on Twitter, Children with Diabetes, the American Diabetes Association website, where there's a ton of really, really great diabetes bloggers who provide an amazing community of support. Um, and like I said, we just go by the DOC, and it's just a, it's a it's a powerful group. It's an amazing group as a patient to know that if I'm having a bad day with blood sugars, I can get online and I can say, diabetes sucks. Three people respond and say, yeah, I'm sorry. Can we help you? What's going on? And just being able to talk with somebody who's going through a similar situation understands when your blood sugar is going up and down after a hard day of work, they know what it's like. And having that support, you, you just, I mean, it's priceless. Um so going back to high school then, um, as far as, you know, finding this passion for communication, healthcare communication that, that kind of drove you towards, um, you know, what you were going to be studying in college, what, kind of what happened in high school to kind of direct you in that manner and say, this is what I want uh, to do? Well, it's really funny because it's all tied back to a comment that my endocrinologist made the first or second day that I was diagnosed she was saying, you know, it's going to be okay. We're going to send you to diabetes camp this summer. You'll meet other people. I never went, by the way. Um, I'm not a camp person. <laughs> and then she also <laughs> said, and we'll, get you, and we'll get you an insulin pump. And I was like, uh, no. People will be able to look at me and see that I have diabetes. And like I said, I was so concerned about people thinking and knowing that I was different from them. And so an insulin pump to me when I was 14 and just diagnosed seemed like a brand that it was stamped on my forehead that people would know I was different. There was something wrong with me. And so there was probably a couple of months I was learning how to live with diabetes and manage it myself. My parents were great. They gave me support, but they let me learn how to do it myself and take care of myself. But I was kind of in denial. Like, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't – I only told, like, one or two of my friends, the color guard captain, the band director, the principal. But beyond that, I didn't want anybody to know that I had diabetes. So about six wow. months later, I one day – it was in fifth period geometry. I woke up, I, or my brain just mentally turned on. I'm like – I'm being such a freaking idiot. Like, this is so stupid. Instead of sitting here and moping about having diabetes and just being in total denial and afraid that somebody's going to think there's something wrong with me, you know, I'm so fortunate because I can, uh, my family can afford for me to have, you know, the syringes, the insulin, the test traps, and even an insulin pump if I wanted. There's no reason that I shouldn't get over myself and, you know, use the tools to take the best care of myself possible and then use my energy and my communication skills to go out there and make a difference for those who don't have the opportunities I do. And so that's what turned me into a diabetes advocate is just waking up and realizing how selfish I was being. And so ever since I've been, you know, very active in supporting people with diabetes, you know, whether it's, again, being the support online, trying to raise money, volunteering for the American Diabetes Association, and that's what turned me into a healthcare advocate and turned me into healthcare as a career is just knowing what kind of difference that healthcare makes for me as an individual because I do have this patient perspective and I do know what it means to me when a doctor is wonderfully supportive of me versus a doctor maybe yelling at me or saying, why didn't you test your blood sugar, do this or that? <laughs> so I've seen, I've seen a little bit of both sides of healthcare in terms of a patient. There's good communication. There's not so good communication. 
So my goal and my job, both personally and professionally, is try to improve communications in healthcare. Because like I said, it makes the biggest world of difference. Um, our guest on the line is uh, Dina M. Lewis uh, on uh, Twitter, healthcare, uh, social health advocate. Um, and um, I, uh, I mean, you've won, uh, you know, uh, been awarded a lot of a lot of awards uh, related to specifically social media. Um, something I wanted to ask you was, do you remember kind of your first um, you know, experiences with uh, Twitter? And because you know, because you're you're like Twitter everywhere now. But can you kind of <laughs> uh, share about you know? I mean. It, do, were you like really an early adopter? Were you just like, eh, you know, I'm not really sure. And then there, you had this aha moment, and you know, or you know, I, you know, because everybody kind of has a different experience with Twitter. Yeah, everybody has a different experience, but I feel like everybody has the same progression in terms of they kind of dip their toes in the water and they've got a skeptical eye and they talk to the few people they know and they slowly start following more people and listening to more conversations and eventually really get into it. And so in that sense, my adoption of Twitter was pretty similar. But I happen, you know, my, my degree is PR, my job is communications. I happen to be a talky person. I like to talk. Um, so to me, it was another tool where I could talk to my friends but also meet new people because I love to meet new people, hear their stories, interact with them. So that was when it, within a couple of weeks I realized, wow, I can really meet a lot of people, learn from them, see what they're doing in their career and their personal life. Um, and so that's what attracted me to Twitter at first. And over time, um, within two or three months, I started really talking to the public relations PR professional community, seeing what they were doing, how those professionals were interacting online, um, which I learned a lot from. And then I, because I knew I was going, I wanted to go into healthcare PR and healthcare communications as a professional. You know, by my junior year, I was having discussions with some of the top social media people at hospitals at that time. That's how I met Lee Azy and Ed Bennett and Eric Hansen was talking to them on Twitter about their experiences in social media and healthcare. Uh, and, and Twitter is, is, is a huge equalizer that, that I found uh, even early on. Like, uh, you know, presumably people are responsive, and obviously, you know, you found the right people there. Um, just to send them, you know, a message and say, hey, you know, um, what do you think about this? Or, yes, I agree with you. Or, no, I don't agree with you. Um, and uh, it, it's been a fascinating uh, thing just to kind of try to communicate people just through 140 characters, and, and that kind of builds community a little bit. And, uh, um, I guess that's kind of been your experience too in in in, in meeting some of these um, social health and social media leaders um, as you're kind of learning more about the uh, the platform. Right, and that's the premise of why I started Hixum. And for those of you who don't know, it's the hashtag HCSM Twitter chat every Sunday night that I run. It's because I wanted to have a conversation with these people who were amazingly open and willing to communicate with quote, just a college student um, who is looking to get into healthcare communications. And I love Twitter because I hate the real-world barriers of somebody feeling like they're too good to talk to you because you're a patient or you don't have a, you know, an MBA or a JD or an MD. I really think that we all can play a part to improve healthcare. And we should respect each other and one another for each of the individual things we do that overall, you know, contributes to somebody's health and well-being. Um, so that's why I love Twitter, because like you said, you tweeted our CEO and he tweeted back to you. Normally, would you have the opportunity to really engage with our CEO? Not necessarily, but through Twitter, that's now possible. And that's why I absolutely love the tool. Um, Hickson uh, stands for Healthcare Communications and Social Media and um, started in the January, January 2009. 
correct. Yeah. So how, so is that something that you just picked? Is that you're like, I'm really going to do this? Or like, how, how did that all kind of come about? I mean, I know you shared little bits and pieces of it already. Well, that's the number one question I get. A lot of people are looking to build Twitter chats. They're like, okay, how did you build this community? Well, back in December when we started talking about having a conversation about healthcare on Twitter, it wasn't about building a community. We had no intention of it being a weekly chat. And the first one was actually using Gchat, the instant messenger in our Gmail, with four people. Ah, yeah, okay. three people who worked in hospital communications and myself. Because I actually saw two of them talking, and I was like, hey, this is a cool conversation. I want in. And so we set up a time. It was 8 o'clock, on, 8 o'clock Central on a Sunday night. We had the Gchat. It was great. We learned a lot. And we talked about it on Twitter, like, wow, I just had a really great conversation with so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And a couple people popped up and said, hey, let's do another one. I want to be a part of it. And so they turned to me, and I said, okay, well, I'll moderate it. And then I was saying, well, how do we do a chat on, on Twitter? And I was like, well, let's do a hashtag. That way we can kind of pull the tweets all together. You know, we can ignore the mainstream where other tweets are popping up. We can focus on just the people who want to have this conversation. And so that's how Hicksum was born, was the desire just to have a conversation about healthcare and improve healthcare communications on Twitter. Uh, and for people who may not, who, who listen to the show, who may not be that familiar with the concept of a, uh, a hashtag on Twitter, can you kind of explain that a little bit and, and uh, let people know how that works? Sure. Well, hashtags weren't originally built into Twitter, but users started using them as a way to kind of be a funny way to tag the end of your conversation. So there's tags that are you know normal and useful, like Hicksum or Healthcare or you know, HCR for healthcare reform, and if you click on the hashtag within Twitter, it takes you to a new screen and searches for everything else that has that same string of code, which would be pound HCR, pound healthcare, whatever that may be. So you can find people who are having a conversation and join it. You can, you can watch a conversation. You can participate. Um, and sometimes people use hashtags for really inane things like, oh, my gosh, is it Friday yet? Um, but the great thing about it is you can kind of pull together a common conversation and let people stumble across the conversation. Um, and so you, you moderate that. So how would you describe what your role is on the weekly Hickson chat? Well, I pull in topics from the community. So people send me DMs, at replies, and just old plain old-fashioned old emails saying, you know, I'm interested in this, or have you seen this link, or can we talk about this? So sometimes people send me really specific targeted questions that are great, and I can immediately use them for a topic. But other times I have to take questions and kind of craft them because there's an art to putting out a question that will drive a discussion with this very, you know, picky, highly intelligent, and highly dynamic group of people who chat. So my role is to pull in all of the topics and the questions, pick out two to three to four, and kind of guide the conversation. So I open with opening remarks. I ask people to introduce themselves. I put out the topics, I answer questions about the topics, and I kind of keep everybody within the community norms and guidelines. And um, so is, is it kind of just random topics that you come, on, uh, come up with uh, every week, or is it driven kind of by what uh, some popular stories are over the week, or is it just sometimes just totally random? It's a combination of everything. I mean, sometimes, I, you know, there's a hot topic like, um, you know, healthcare reform, or somebody came, some pharmaceutical organization came out with a social media policy and they made it public. So there's a lot of hot topics sometimes where I get two or three responses, and you see it pop up in the hashtag throughout the week. So you know people really want to have a discussion around it. 
So in that case, it's really easy to use as a topic. There's other times where people just have something on their mind, they see it, or we just haven't talked about something in a while, and people say, hey, can we talk about this again? Um, and so it's my job to help if there's a lot of requests about it to build a question around that topic. Because I could get something saying, hey, we haven't talked about Foursquare in a while. Can we talk about Foursquare again? Well, if you put out a topic one in Hickson that says, what do you think about Foursquare, the discussion falls really flat. But if you frame it into geolocations or talk about something specific that people can answer yes or no and, you know, have a philosophical argument about, that's, that's a better topic to give to the group. Um, and in those beginning days um, or beginning weeks, um, was it really a variety of people? Did you just start out mainly with communication-type people? Or, like, had, did you remember kind of who the, some of the first participants were in that first month or two? Well, like I said, the first one was three folks who worked at hospitals and myself. I was a junior at the University of Alabama at the time. And then several people popped in on the second week, and I believe there was a nurse, there was a doctor, and then beyond that, I mean, I just lost track because we started with four, then there was a dozen, there were several dozens, and now over time we've had thousands of people participate in the chats. And what I love is that there's no same group every single week. So even if I did ask the same question two weeks in a row, the discussion and the conversation would be drastically different because, like I said, there's no barriers to joining as long as you have um, access to the Internet and you can build a free Twitter account. And you, you can be a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, a marketer, a social media guru, um, a rock star, whatever you want to call it. You can be a CEO. You can work at a nonprofit. You can work for pharmaceutical. You can work for a hospital. So no matter – or you could just be a patient. So no matter how you're touched by healthcare, you're welcome to join the conversation, and people do. And so that's why I love it because it's so diverse, and there's so many people bringing their great thoughts to the table that normally otherwise wouldn't have a chance to discuss it with this dynamic group of people. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break here, and then after the break here, I do want to get into something. I know that we kind of talked about this offline. Is that there was a uh, you know a lot of people are trying to start these chats, um, and um, have, are having uh, variable uh, success in some people's opinion. Uh, but the thing I, I really want to, to talk about um, is what I talked about on my blog this week as well. Is it's called MD Chat. And, um, you know, as far as specifically doctors, um, and I'd like to get your opinion about that. Um, as a, a non-physician, I can, and we can kind of go back and forth on this. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting conversation. So stay tuned out there. Uh, we will continue the conversation right after this on the Dr. Anonymous show. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back to the Dr. Anonymous Show, live on Blog Talk Radio. On the line we have uh, with us uh, Dana Lewis, the uh, founder and moderator of the Hicksum Sunday Night Chat, Healthcare Communications and Social Media. And uh, Dana, I'm very excited because this Sunday night, 10, 10, 10, um, <laughs> is going to be very unique in that, uh, first of all, 10, 10, 10, uh, but uh, 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 all of the pre-conference speakers uh, for the uh, uh, Sweet Dish uh, Healthcare Symposium pre-conference um, have been invited to take part in the Hicksum um, in the same room um, on uh, Sunday night. Uh, so it's going to be very fascinating for me even just to watch. What do you think? 
Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I've done a couple of live Hickson's before where I've been with folks and it happened to be Hickson time, so we all did it together in the same place. And it's different from doing it at my apartment or, at, you know, being, you know, somewhere in Seattle versus doing it with other people because usually people think it's funny to watch me do Hickson, and I don't know what it is, uh, but it's fun to watch other people typing furiously and pondering something on the hashtag. So uh, it'll be fun for, you know, me to watch other people, but I'm sure people will get a kick out of seeing what I look like on my laptop and my iPhone and my BlackBerry. <laughs> Uh, and what I'm going to try to do uh, is I'm going to try to live stream the thing um, on my Ustream.tv account, and we'll see if I can uh, figure that out. So, uh, so people may just have some kind of surreal experience on a Sunday night um, because you know everybody multitasks, so they'll be watching the live stream chat and then maybe the live stream video uh, too. So that'll be interesting to see if we can get that done. <laughs> We'll see how you do with the multitasking for dealing with all of us and watching online and live streaming it. <laughs> um, oh, and, and before we get, before we get into this this chat discussion here, um, uh, so how um, how did you get the job at Swedish? Uh, that had to be an interesting experience. Well, it actually came as a result of Twitter, and it's really funny to say that you got your job on Twitter, but that really is. My boss, Melissa Tizan, she's at Melissa Tizan on Twitter, joined the Hickson chat in January, February, and, you know, sent me an email. We started having a conversation, and, you know, we just had a great talk about Hickson and healthcare and social media. And at that time, I graduated last year in May, but starting in January and February, I kind of let the Hickson community know that, you know, I was coming, I was looking for a job. And she's one of the people who reached out to me and said, hey, we're looking to build this position, focusing on social media, because we're becoming a really social hospital. We want to support our physicians. We want more help doing social media. Are you interested? And I was thinking, well, I really don't want to live out west, because I'm originally from Alabama. I thought I'd stay close to my family. And I said, well, I don't know that a hospital is the right place for me. But I was like, you know, I'd love to come interview with you. I think you're great. I'd love to meet the team and the organization. Well, I came out here in April um, for about 36 hours, and I was blown away. And, yes, I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm biased, obviously, but I love Swedish. <laughs> I had a series of really great you meetings. With Diet Coke. You drank the Diet Coke out there. <laughs> I did. I drank the poison Diet Coke. Um, but I had a great meeting with our VP of External Affairs with Melissa herself, who took me around and introduced me to some of the outstanding physicians here. Um, and I just I fell in love with the organization. I fell in love with Seattle, and as a result – you know, I'm out here now, and I have been for three months, and I love it. Um, so have you been able just to kind of get a sense of um, not just um, in the medical setting, but uh, kind of the social media or um, kind of community out there? Have you been able to interface or, or plug in with the Seattle, um, you know, social media community at all? Absolutely. They have a great social media community out here. We have a social media club, Seattle. We have a social media breakfast club, Seattle. We actually had an event yesterday, which was really interesting. Um, and there's so much technology and energy out here. It's, you could throw a rock and hit, you know, five people who are on Twitter and doing something really cool with technology. So I love being out here because the community is really inspiring. Uh, yeah, and, and they they, uh, they broadcast their breakfast uh, on live video on Ustream, and I was able to catch uh, a part of that uh, presentation. And uh, I mean, that was great. And what, that was at Swedish too, wasn't that yesterday? Uh, right, it was at our Ballard, one of our you know local facilities. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, and uh, um, uh, I forget what the speaker's name was, but uh, uh, she had a great presentation, and uh, it looks like you, you guys had a pretty good crowd. Is, is that a, a weekly thing or every other week type of thing? Or well, I'm new to Social Media Breakfast, but I believe like Social Media Club Seattle, they work to do an event every month or so. And I agree with you. The pre- presentation was by Holly A. Brown on Twitter. If you're looking for her, and you probably, if you look at Pound S N B Seattle. You can look back and find the link to the presentation if you want to watch it again. She has some really great insights about communities and engagement and, you know, social media being not the hub but the spokes of an organization. So I learned it a lot yesterday morning. Uh, So let's kind of uh, switch topics here. Um, And this week um, was a Twitter chat, and uh, it was two days ago on October 5, 2010, and uh, it was called MD Chat, and you can get more information at mdchat.org, and it was marketed as a chat for physicians, and it took place, I believe it was uh, even uh, 11.30 a.m. or 12.30 p.m. Eastern time, and it went on for about an hour or an hour and a half, um, and um, it was... Uh, you know, basically your basic Twitter chat, and I was able to uh, kind of peek in every once in a while because I was still in clinic and seeing my patients and things. Um, and it's it seems like um, a lot of uh, a lot of groups, a lot of people are trying to utilize Twitter uh, for uh, these type of chats. And uh, and it's no secret, you know, I it's 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 on my blog post here, dranonymous.com, uh, that um, you know it, it was the first one, um, but uh, just some observations that people can read out my blog post about it. Uh, it seemed like there were more non-physicians than physicians, um, and it seemed like, and you know maybe just my bias, it seemed like there was a lot of one-sided type of conversation directed towards doctors. Um, as opposed to kind of a uh, dialogue that was taking place. Uh, so that, that was just kind of my initial uh, reactions to it. And, and I put the blog post up like about two hours or three hours right after it, so it was like really fresh in my mind. Um, but, Dana, my question to you is that, I mean, I would imagine a lot of, of people, um, because of Hickson, may have been asking you or have asked you, you know, how do I set up a, you know, a Twitter chat? You know, how can I make it successful? Um, do you kind of have any opinions about, you know, that kind of like Twitter chats in general as far as, you know, trying to accomplish what people want, want the, the chat to accomplish? Well, like I said, I started, you know, Hickson as just a way to have a conversation. My goal wasn't to sell myself or get a job or sell a business or sell a product or anything. And that's why one of the rules in Hickson Sunday night is no shameless self-promotion. If you're posting links, you'll be asked to stop, and eventually you'll get blocked for spam, and you'll annoy a whole bunch of people. Um, so that's why my chat is very different. Nowadays, when people start Twitter chats, some of them are have really pure motives, but at the same time, they're open, honest, and saying, well, look, I've got to sell you know, myself. I have to sell a product. This is a part of it. You know, and I respect that, but I'm always very curious of how people look to a, you know, start a chat um, these days when there's so many chats on so many topics. Like, how do you really have a chat and reach a community? Um, so when people ask me, okay, I want to start a Twitter chat, what do I do first? I say, well, what are, you know, what are your goals? What are your objectives? What are you really trying to do? 
And are you going to tap into an existing community? And if so, does the community want to be tapped into? Are you providing a resource to them? You know, or are you going to bring together a whole new group of people who previously haven't had a way to get together? So in my opinion, the way, the way to have a successful Twitter chat is to bring together people to a place where they haven't been able to connect with one of each other before. An example today might have been the health literacy chat that the CDC did because there's a lot of people doing health literacy stuff and wanting to talk about it. They didn't have a place. So the CDC did a health lit chat, brought together a bunch of different advocates and people. That's an example of probably a good mode of Twitter chat. There are other Twitter chats I've looked at where I'm wondering, okay, well, you know, really what is your purpose? What are you trying to do? Are you really benefiting the community? Because I try not to do anything that would harm the community, and I try to really protect Hicksum and not let people sell in it, like I said, because I want to do, you know, make healthcare communications and social media, use Hicksum to, you know, again, we built a community. It just evolved out of that. But I want to take our community to the next level each and every time. And so that's, those are kind of my principles for chats and what I recommend to people is, you know, again, don't sell anything. It doesn't work. People are smarter than that. And also, you know, make sure you're actually providing a resource for them and it's something that they're looking to do, not just you're something that you're trying to sell to us. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult because, you know, um, and, and I'm not directing any of this directly at MD chat at all. Um, it's just kind of a concept of a Twitter chat and, you know, people want it to, you know, whatever their goal is, uh, to be successful, um, you know, right away. And um, the, the Hickson example is, uh, you know, basically, I mean, it's just, it's just uh, growing up from the grassroots and having the community uh, kind of, you know, be the stars of the chat as far as their, um, input, uh, the conversation that, um, that goes on and not even about the main question. I mean, it's, it's, it could be, you know, it could be like me just, you know, just putting out silly tweets during that hour. <laughs> um, and, and that, that adds, I think that adds flavor and adds color to the chat. And it's not just, you know, this is what the question is and, you know, all answers should be directed to this one question. Yeah, and you make a great point, and I see here there's a comment by Dr. Synonymous about, like, a non-MD starting an MD chat, and I'll be honest, I didn't have time to even lurk on the chat until afterwards. It wasn't in real time, but when I first saw the notifications for MD chat, my question was, well, why is there an MD-only chat? Because those are the tweets I saw, and I wanted to say, well, I respect that doctors might want to have their own conversation, but I was confused why doctors weren't doing it themselves, and then also why I wasn't allowed to lurk or ask the doctors questions while they're having a discussion among themselves. You know, I really want to respect doctors if they want their own space, you know, I'll let you have it. But at the same time, again, what purpose does this serve? And I wasn't sure if it was because I'm not a physician and I didn't understand at first, but reading your blog post, I feel like I have a lot of the same questions um, you guys did about the chat. And again, this is all outside looking in third person perspective, but I just don't know what, what purpose it was achieving because like you said when I looked back there were a lot of people talking at doctors and not with them and asking them questions and engaging with them but really at them and I, I wasn't quite sure of how that dynamic was going to work out. Uh, well yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I know Phil Bauman you know he's, uh, you know, he's one that, that um, you know kind of you know pushed this forward and uh, you know I, I get what he's trying to do you know and um, you know trying to you know, get physicians to, you know, take part in some of these social media um, uh, platforms and try to get them to communicate. And I think 
um, and maybe his site says this too, is that he did it because, you know, there was really, um, you know, no position that was going to step up and say, you know, this is something that I really want to do. Uh, and that's kind of part of, you know, why physicians, um, you know, are afraid or hesitant to, you know, jump into this social media uh, space. Um, so I think you know, his efforts, um, you know, are, are, you know, I think they're going to pay off eventually. Um, but I think that was part of the impetus of why he wanted to, to start that. Um, but, you know, I, I right. get emails every day from doctors, you know, saying, hey, you know, I want to do this and I'm going to do that. So um, I think, I think you know, kind of the social media marketplace, you know, for lack of a better term, will help sort this out as far as, you know, who's going to have the most effective um, and best product out there. And I think, you know, Phil is just trying to, you know, put something out there initially to try to start some discussion. And I don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, and, and I, I've, you know, I've shared some some feedback with him, you know, offline as well. You know, I have nothing against, you know, MD Chat. I have nothing against Phil. Um, but uh, you know, that, you know, and you know, I welcome, you know, people, even non physicians, trying to get physicians involved in the space. Um, so I, you know, I, I hope, you know, I hope people, you know, more. And, and I know that Phil will, will refine his product as far as MD Chat because he does RN Chat as well, um, and. Um, I know that I mean, when he started RN Chat, he probably had some similar things as well. So, so I mean, that, that, you know, it, it's a 1.0 well, product, um, and so yeah, I, I know it's going to improve. Right. Well, I agree with everything that you've been saying. You know, I support Phil. He's done a great job with RN Chat. He's an active member of the Hickson community. I actually have a, a, a an argument with the premise you just made and talking about. Well, physicians don't want to be the one to start it. My question is: the great thing about social media is there's no reason anybody can't start it. You know, doctors have a conversation, okay, let's have a Twitter chat. It doesn't need to be a big thing. It doesn't need to be, you know, built on a website or anything else. There's not this organization that needs to be built around it. But just have the conversation if you want to have it. If you want to have it on Twitter, great, throw a hashtag on there. You know, if you want to have it in a private chat room, that's fine, too. If you want to have it in an in-person meeting, that's fine. But social media has really changed the way, you know, we think and the way we interact, and it's kind of lowered some of those barriers to building community. So if you want to have a community, that's fine, but I don't see why doctors can't, you know, you said that doctors might not want to do that. They're worried about it, but I'm seeing so many great doctors get out there. They have their own radio shows. They have their vlogs. They have blogs. They interact on Twitter. I don't see why they wouldn't be willing to step up and, you know, start the conversation. Yeah, but I mean, that, you know, that is the early adopters, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's trying to see how can, how can you broaden it to get, you know, people who are not the early adopters to, you know, get involved with it. And I know it's not just in the physician or medicine industry. It's uh, it's all industries, you know. How, how do you go from the early adopter people to, you know, to to, to more people? So, um, so yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, 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 I think anybody can start it. Um, but uh, I, I, I think that um, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would just say my my point is just do it. You know, I was quote just a college student when I started Hexam, and I got a lot of flack from people. You know, and I just ignored it because I felt like as long as there's any one person who wants to come on Sunday night and have a conversation, I'm willing to have it. It just needs to be somebody who's really pure of heart about what they're trying to get out of it. Just do it. You know, start a chat, start a site, you know, start a community. You know, make a difference. But just you know, just do it. That that's my point. Um, so I, I, I guess from from a health communication standpoint, then um, 
you know, kind of kind of looking at the landscape as far as, you know, what's out there now, um, do you kind of see things on the horizon as far as new types of uh, either new types of platforms in social media or new ways to use social media? Um, you know, we didn't even talk about Facebook, um, but, you know, other types of things out there that, that um, you know, that people can use, whether they're, whether they're patients or nurses or healthcare uh, people or uh, the general public. Um, do you kind of see a trend kind of one way or the other as far as, you know, looking forward a little bit? Well, like you said, we happen to be early adopters. And if you heard me laugh a second ago, because I just saw Dr. Synonymous's comment about Hickson being the holy grail of tweetathons, which is true. People also call it the fire hose. But without knowing it, Hickson really is at the front end of early adoption. And I've been, I've been told by a lot of people that Hickson set the standard for healthcare chats and what Twitter chats look like. Um, so right now, I think we're at mainstream adoption where people are understanding Twitter and they're looking at, you know, how can Twitter be, you know, how we, can we pull together people on a hashtag? But I think what's going to be next is people integrating Twitter and video and blogs all in one place and, pull, you know, being able to access, you know, tweets on your Facebook and back and forth. But really, we've got all these great technologies, but how are they going to play nice together? Because forever we can't be adding one more great site. You know, we've got Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. What's next? At some point, you know, we can't have all of these blockbuster technologies. They're going to have to come together. And I think one of the next big things will be pulling together everything so you have a social platform where you can access the accounts that you want, whether it's health information, and you can separate it. So you've got your personal side. You've got your professional side. You know, you're not violating HIPAA information or sharing personal health information. Um, so, you know, I, th- I would throw that question back out to the people who are listening and say, what do you think is coming next? But I think really technology playing with one and each other, using APIs, you know, um, and really bringing all this technology together, I think that might be the, one of the next steps. Um, well, yeah, I mean, back in the dark ages in, like, 2006, uh, <laughs> where, where, we, where we just had blogs, I mean, you know, the, the – uh, uh, you know, the cutting edge thing was, you know, was, was uh, Grand Rounds, you know, at the time. You say, oh, you know, everybody has a blog, or a lot of people have blogs, we, we read blogs, so we're, at that time, they were integrating um, a lot of blog posts in one place, um, and uh, that's kind of how people got to know me a little bit. Um, so it seems like Hicksum is kind of the next iteration of that as far as, um, you know, Twitter, the live chat text platform um, is kind of where we're going next. And kind of what you're saying is that um, maybe, the, maybe the next step, we don't know, but maybe the next step is integrating a lot of these different things in addition to like um, video to um, either like a YouTube pre-recorded video or live video um, and I would agree with that. I mean, I think, I, I think, I, I think we're, we're being pushed and not really pushed, but I mean, I think it's going to be going more towards, you know, more real time, more real time as far as, you know, text and video and audio. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things, you know, uh, play out not only in the micro space of like social health or social media, but in the macro space of just the internet in general, how things are you know being laid out by people like, you know, General Electric and, you know, those type of companies to see what direction it's going to go. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, one example is, 
you know, for Monday and Tuesday for the live event we're doing. We're live streaming it on Ustream. We're going to have the videos available afterwards. We're going to use Cover It Live to bring in Twitter. And when I was talking with one of the persons, one of the vendors who's helping us live stream, because I don't have time to run a video camera and tweet, sorry, um, but he was saying, wow, you know, I'm really glad you're using it Cover It Live. Not a lot of people are using Cover It Live or similar technologies to allow people to chat and watch the video at the same time. And I was like, you're kidding, because that's, those are both now mainstream accepted technologies, but everybody hasn't grasped the concept of pulling it together in the same page so you can talk and watch on the same page. And that's just what, you know, brought this thought to my mind that, wow, you know, we do have these great technologies, but we're much slower at putting these top technologies together and really maximizing the potential by, you know, like I said, joining those tools. Um, and another thing that a lot of people are talking about, but not a lot of people, especially in the business world, haven't had a grasp of it yet, especially with social health, um, is the whole uh, mobile piece um, as mm-hmm. far as people have a lot of mobile devices, um, whether it's phones or uh, tablets or netbooks or iPads. Um, and uh, a lot of people are, are using these now, uh, especially in the hospital setting or in the office setting, um, in the clinical space, but also um, a lot of consumers are using this too. Um, and I, guess, I think I'm getting what you're saying there too as far as integration on these uh, smaller devices um, in addition to the desktop device uh, to see how people kind of try to integrate this on a smaller scale. Uh, your point about mobile is great because, you know, you see a lot of people going towards mobile applications and, you know, creating iPhone apps and symptom checkers and BMI calculators and all these really great health tools. Um, but I do want to remind people that not everybody has a smartphone. You know, some people have, you know, old school Blackberries. Some people don't even have a smartphone and they just rely on SMS text messaging. So if you're looking to reach, you know, a, a wide community or those who don't usually get health information, I saw, I saw a tweet today about something about a certain amount of percentage of people below the poverty line have a cell phone, and they do SMS, and they do texting. And so, yes, mobile is might be the next great thing in terms of apps and integration, but at the same time, we can't forget that uh, a majority of people who have health issues might not have access to that, and so we shouldn't, you know, pass over SMS texting for a mobile use you know, that we might, you know, because we say mobile, we think, oh, iPhone's app, but there's also SMS, and I don't think we've reached our full potential in using SMS and texting for health purposes. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a good point um, to, to, to um, you know, try trying to reach the, 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 uh, the broadest audience that, that you can. Um, what, um, what do you think about um, kind of like, uh, like personal – uh, health databases, you know, like Google Health, like Microsoft Vault, um, like people owning their own, um, you know, healthcare, people owning their own health data, um, being able to access them. Uh, do, do you see that kind of uh, becoming more and more use now, or, or is that going to be kind of a limiting step to some to some patients and some populations? Um, I see it both ways. I think it's really great because a lot of people want to access their data and own their data and be able to get to it. At the same time, there are those privacy issues. And the personal anecdote, anecdote um, I just joined an organization that has a personal health record, and I'm probably going to go to a physician here because they're on my insurance. They're right next door. It's easy. But I was thinking, you know, nobody, you know, there's always the thought of, like, what if somebody looked, who I work with, looked in my record? I mean, there's nothing there. I have type 1 diabetes. Everybody knows that. But you know, at the same time, there's just that thought of, okay, what about privacy? It's online, it's electronic, now who could get it? 
Now, I don't think we've had any privacy breaches at Swedish, and most of the times it doesn't happen, but I think the fact that we talk more about owning your data and accessing your data, that people used to think, okay, well, my data is safe. It's in a file. Well, just as many people could see it if it's sitting on a file in the doctor's office as they can if it's, you know, in an electronic form. I just think that's made us more think about that, oh, my gosh, so many people might have more access to it. So I see it's really progressing in terms of owning our data, but I still think there's a lot of education and there's a lot of patient, patient privacy issues that we need to explore and make sure that we're keeping everybody's data as safe as possible. Um, and then at the same time, I mean, you just have to think about a lot of organizations and health systems, if you're not a part of a system, can a physician's office afford to use an electronic health or medical record? Um, you know, and can, you know, can they afford that? Will it really affect their population? And in terms of Google Health and Microsoft Vault, but especially Google Health, I feel like I would be really hesitant to put my information like that online because, I don't know, for some reason personally, I'd be hesitant about putting my information out there when that, to me, it's not like sitting with my hospital, not sitting with my doctor, but sitting out there in the great unknown. That's a little too much free for all of my data. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a- um, That's just my personal opinion. I'm not as informed on this issue, but from the personal standpoint of somebody who has diabetes, I go to the doctor every three months, I'd like to access my data, but at the same time, I'd like it to be as protected and safe as possible. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and, you know, and I've heard all kinds of arguments, you know, on both sides of this issue, too, because, I mean, a lot of people say, well, you know, I mean, Google has a lot of information on me right now, um, and, um, you know, I, I know some of it, and I know – I don't know some of it, and I'd be surprised by what they have on me as far as that type of information. Uh, so, you know, having that information out there, um, whether it's health information or personal information or whatever, I mean, I think that's going to be a, a, a big hurdle that, uh, you know, people are going to have to, you know, deal with or, you know, e- either get more explanation on as far as what information is out there right now on you, maybe not health-related information, but other type of information, um, and that's kind of part of the evolution of this, you know, people becoming more um, either familiar or um, you know, you know, what's out there technology-wise as far as, uh, as what's out there. Um, let's see. I think... I don't know if I had anything else on my list here. I'm looking at my list here. Um, <laughs> I talked so fast, I ran you out of your questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. It's just, uh, uh, that's one of the beauties about live radio. It just, I, I just, I, I get into a groove as far as, oh, you know, I have like five questions in my mind and then, um, and then I forget four of them. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, Let's see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, as far as me specifically here, um, you know, my type of population, uh, and I'll share this, during, you know, during uh, the pre-conference next week, is that um, I think what I bring kind of the conversation is that, you know, I'm from a small town here in northeastern Ohio. You know, I'm not in a, you know, tech capital. I'm not even in, you know, a, a large city or a medium city. I'm in a small city. Um, I, our hospital has 100 beds. Um, our community mostly here is not technology oriented. Um, and, you know, when I bring up stuff like you know, even information on the internet, whether it's from a site or whether it's email, whether it's this, you know, I, I get this, uh, uh, you know, this deer in headlights like from most of my patients. 
Um, not so much now, but you know, you four or five years ago. <clears throat> so as opposed to you know, other people on the panel who are you know from bigger cities or who will probably you know I wouldn't say I wouldn't assume, but you know are you know may have more uh, their their patient population may be more technology oriented or not, um, but trying to bridge the gap as far as you know what your specific patient population, what their comfort level is with technology, what their education level is with technology, because I don't want to just talk over people's heads as far as, oh, yeah, you can just Twitter this and Facebook that and, and go to this <laughs> website. Um, so it, it's very individualized, uh, and that's, that's why it's very challenging to give people just general advice and you should do A, B, C, and D and, you know, take this back to your office and you will be, you know, integrated in with your patients. So I think it's, 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 it's a challenge that each community, each physician has as far as their own comfort level with technology, but also sharing that uh, with their patients and their population. Well, I'm so impressed that, well, I shouldn't be surprised. I don't know you as a, as a doctor. I just know you from your online persona, but that you're looking at personalized and individualized care um, I know from the patient's standpoint, we worry that the doctor only has seven, ten minutes with us, and we're just, you know, another chart they have to get through. But it's great to hear about doctors thinking about, okay, what is the level of technology and understanding of my patient? How can I best share this information? Are online tools right for them? I mean, that's where I would like to see physicians moving forward and kind of emphasizing that they are giving personalized, individualized care. And I know there's a lot of hurdles to that, and some of the doctors listening might disagree, but I only know the the patient side, so that's my disclaimer. Um, but I've had experience with doctors who just didn't get technology, and I would talk about online communities or something I learned online and ask them a question about whether it's applicable to my care, and they're just like, no, 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 you shouldn't look at that. You know, don't bring printouts to my office, whereas I have a doctor now who I can email with and ask questions, and um, I know a lot of doctors aren't willing to do that, but I, especially since my doctor's still in Alabama and I'm in Seattle, I really appreciate being able to have that access. So instead of spending 30 minutes on the phone, you know, waiting to get five seconds with him, shooting him an email if it's not urgent and having him respond and say, okay, you should take this much vitamin D um, or, you know, yes, you should go to a doctor there because it sounds like, you know, your symptoms sound like the flu, not the cold. I mean, just that little things are so valuable, especially for somebody with a chronic condition like myself with diabetes. Um, and I know it's different for those who are dealing with a primary care audience or even more specialized audience, but in my case, I really appreciate having a doctor who would be willing, you know, to go that extra step and email me and talk with me online versus making me wait on the phone for 30 minutes or an hour just trying to get through to ask a question to a nurse or the doctor. Uh, well, so what advice do you have for, for patients who, you know, other than get a new doctor, uh, but what <laughs> advice do you have? For patients who you know who are I wouldn't say you know technology savvy but technology interested um, in presenting some of these uh, either technology solutions or internet information to a physician who may be a little bit resistant to you know to the internet or to technology but what advice do you have from a patient standpoint to communicate that with their physician? Well, I mean, I would just encourage them not to going in there and being like, well, why don't you do this or why don't you, you know, and like attacking the physician. Because I feel like no matter if you attack the patient and you're, and you're a physician or physician, you're a patient and you're attacking the physician, if you go in and attack somebody and make it a blame game, you're never going to come out with a positive outcome of that conversation. But if you go in there and they have that minute and say, look, at the end of, you know, after we go through our symptoms or our check or whatever we need to do at the end, I'd like to talk to you a minute 
about something that, you know, about online, you know, websites and how should I find this health information and really make it a team effort because I found like talking with doctors and letting them know that patients aren't looking to attack their doctors. We're not looking to sue you or medical malpractice or anything like that. We just want to actually save you time in the office by knowing, okay, what's a good source, you know, a good place for me to find this information, you know, and doctors having, you know, information on hand like saying, okay, Go to www.diabetes.org for basic diabetes information, the American Diabetes Association. Just them having that basic level of knowledge and being willing to meet me halfway and saying, here's some resources for you, but also being willing to learn and say, okay, I know you have diabetes, you're active, so what diabetes communities are really active doing a good job? Are there any places where I can go and listen and learn? And again, it's about the time and the willingness and all of that, but I've actually had doctors ask me that, and my level of respect and esteem for them just went up tenfold because they're willing to meet me halfway and acknowledge that the online communities really impact my quality of life and do almost as much, perhaps, for my diabetes care as the 10-minute office visit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I, I know that, you know, from, from my standpoint as, as uh, primary care, it's, just, it's so challenging for me um, to try to, you know, squeeze that information in or to take the time to listen when I know that my schedule is how it is. And, you know, and I talk to docs, you know, family practice docs or family medicine docs about this all the time, and, and that's, that's kind of a challenge on our end uh, to, you know, to, to let uh, families and patients, you know, express what they're going through, not only about technology but, you know, about anything, uh, to, and, and that's a challenge on our end. So it, it's nice to hear from uh, from a patient's perspective, kind of how how we can try to meet halfway on on not only technology but uh, but a, a lot of different type of issues uh, to give uh, better care. Absolutely, and like I said, you know, we know doctors are busy. We know they don't have a lot of time. We know they're trying to keep up and make sure that they're giving us the best healthcare possible. We totally appreciate that. But at the same time, when we leave the doctor's office, we're on our own. So if you recommend a site where I might find some basic information, so at 2 o'clock in the morning, if I'm worried about something that's a basic diabetes term or, you know, there's something worrying me, I can't call you at 2 o'clock in the morning if you're not on call, but I can go to a website that my doctor's recommended and just get some kind of understanding and, you know, it it makes me a little calmer at 2 o'clock in the morning versus freaking out, wondering if I need to call 911, you know, instances like that. Um, so I just I, I really appreciate when doctors are willing to acknowledge that it's not just healthcare and their medicines not just when you're in the office for 10 or 20 minutes but also when you're out there on the own on your own and I love doctors who help equip me as a patient to leave their office and know you know how to handle myself when to call 911 when to call the doctor but also when I can take care of issues by myself. Um, Dana Lewis, uh, we're, we're coming close to the end of our program, and, uh, um, and I will ask you in, in just a little bit kind of if you can have any kind of closing thoughts from your standpoint, especially as, as an advocate and uh, as a health communication strategist and specialist. Uh, but before that, I do want to let people know that um, uh, I will be having a, a little post show after this, so, and I'll put the, I'll put the link in the, ch- in the chat room there, DrAnonymous.tv. We'll have a little post show there. Um, Saturday night, I'll be having uh, a show. Hopefully, my internet connection works <laughs> live from Seattle. <laughs> so, uh, so that'll be fun. And then Sunday night, especially for you people in out there in healthcare, the, the Hicksum chat uh, will be um, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and I will try to do a live uh, video stream there, and that'll be a very interesting experience there. But of course, Monday and Tuesday uh, next week, um, it, it will be the uh, uh, Swedish Healthcare Symposium and 
pre-conference session, uh, uh, Monday and Tuesday, October 11 um, and 12. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to be a part of that. Uh, so if you guys want more information about that, you can definitely go to DrAnonymous.com, but you can go, also go to Swedish100.org to get information about that um, as well. Um, Dana, thank you so much for being on the show. Do you have any closing thoughts for us from, from this evening? I know we've just been, you know, we could probably talk for another hour and a half, but these people would just kill us. So, uh, but do you have any closing <laughs> thoughts for us uh, this evening? Sure. Like I said earlier, I would just encourage you to use social media as a way to bridge the gaps in healthcare, whether it's a one-time conversation, ongoing Twitter chat, you start a support group, just, you know, do it to improve healthcare. And, you know, if, if it, we're all doing the same thing, we're all on the same team. So just, you know, support each other and use social media to make the world a better place, world peace, all that good stuff. But I really do think that social media can improve healthcare. And, you know, I've seen it take place personally and professionally. And so I want to keep continuing to do that and encourage other people to do that as well. Uh, follow Dana on Twitter, Dana M. Lewis, and uh, follow me, Dr. Anonymous, because uh, uh, at least I'll be having some um, adventures in Seattle, and uh, uh, maybe um, uh, Dana and I will just be kind of hanging out and, uh, you know, just letting people know what's going on as we, uh, you know, just try to get ready for Monday and Tuesday. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. So, uh, but Dana, thanks you again for being on the show. Can't wait to meet you in person. It's going to be uh, it's going to be very exciting, uh, and uh, I'm I'm just I'm pumped. I'm excited. Good. Well, thank you for having me tonight. Thanks for everybody's comments. You know, happy to continue the discussion afterwards as well. And I look forward to seeing you on Monday. Okay. Well, great. Uh, so I'll say good night, and uh, we'll talk some more, and then I will see you uh, this weekend. Sounds great. Okay, take care. All right, kids, so that is my show here uh, this evening. I do want to thank uh, Dana Lewis for coming on the show. Follow her on Twitter, Dana M. Lewis, and uh, um, I also put her uh, LinkedIn uh, link um, in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in the show there, uh, in the chat room, and I'll also put it on, on my blog as well. Uh, but yeah, follow me, uh, follow me at Dr. Anonymous on Twitter, and uh, I will be uh, <laughs> probably too much sharing my travel what's going on this weekend uh so so that and um so yeah so there will be an after show where i will be um you know just kind of chatting with all of you so i'll put the link in the uh, chat room there dr anonymous dot tv and uh we will do the post-mortem over there you can tell me how uh, bad of a job i did so <laughs> Uh, but that's it for me tonight here. So uh, uh, stay tuned to DrAnonymous.com. That gives you the most current information about what is going on. Also on Twitter at, uh, at Dr. Anonymous. Uh, there's no closing music here tonight. I will just shut down the show here, and I will see everybody for the post show in just a few minutes here as soon as I switch things over. Good night, everybody. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.